0: Welcome to episode 7 of the We Can See You Sneaking Out podcast. I hope everyone is well out there. We're getting to the business end of the football season now, Um, so I'm sure there's some really important away days coming up uh, for some of your clubs. And whilst the end of the season is exciting, it can also be really nerve-wracking if your club is involved in promotion, relegation and the playoffs as well. So I hope you enjoy the end of the season. There's probably some fans out there who can't wait for this season to end, so they can start afresh again in August. The end of the season does mean that we will be without football for a few weeks, which I know everybody will miss. Um, But don't worry, our podcast will still be coming out weekly throughout the summer and pre-season to give you a bit of an away day fix every Friday. For episode 7, our guest is Craig, the Mansfield fan. Craig was our very first guest and this is part 2 with him. I didn't want to release two Mansfield episodes in a row, but also I didn't want to leave it too long between episodes um as we do reference some of the stories he told us in part one um, so now seemed like a good time to release part two and in part two he tells us some more of his experiences following mansfield um, as well as his role in the press a side of football that the average fan doesn't really get to see um, and this involves commentating on his club at wembley again a pretty unique experience he also tells a difficult story Um, about being attacked when he was only 12 years old by an opposition fan at Rochdale away and this prompted a further discussion around football violence of course we don't condone violence um, but I'll be honest when I see football fight videos posted on social media I do sometimes watch them I'm sure many of you listening are the same Um, but that's got me questioning well is that just glorifying it are we part of the problem by watching and sharing these videos Um, I'm sure everyone will agree that people should never go to football and not come home or be left with, you know, a traumatic experience. I'd love to know your thoughts on that really important topic. So, as always, please get involved. You can follow us on Twitter at WeCanSeeYouPod or you can email us at WeCanSeeYouSneakingOut at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing on whatever platform you listen to us on. Um, It's much appreciated and it it really does help us out. And with that then, please enjoy Episode 7. Take care and I'll speak to you all next week. Okay, so welcome to another episode of the We Can See You Sneaking Out podcast. This is part two with Craig from Mansfield Matters. Craig, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into it again. I felt we we, we could have spoke for hours last time around, so looking forward to seeing what we get out this time. That's good, that's good. And on reflection,
0: after listening to the first part back, I have got a... A couple of things I wanted to touch on with you. I think firstly, and probably the most important, is did any of the Mansfield players have controversial biscuit choices?
1: <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I personally think they're quite bland because we had quite a lot of... Oh, so for context, by the way, if you've not listened to the first episode, you really should. Yeah, I was a commentator for a while and somebody dared me that I wouldn't ask a player what the favourite biscuit is, and I did. Um, had a lot of players saying um, chocolate hobnob, which I wasn't quite up there with. Um, We had a a player from... We've got our captain, Ollie Clark, from from Bristol, and he said Viennese finger, but in in his accent, it sounded wrong. Um, I'm not going to do the accent. Um, I don't think we had anyone saying rich tea, um, but we definitely had uh, a few sort of just normal digestives. My favourite was Jordan Bowery, who... Um, knew the question was coming up I mentioned that there was a, a player that mentioned am I going to get the biscuit question, he was one of them <laughs> um, and, he, and he thought about it at the end and he went do I get a cup of tea, or is it with a cup of tea or is it just eating a biscuit out of a packet I, I said no, oh, no, no, with a cup of, tea, cup of tea or coffee or whatever and he went uh, oh, well in that case it's going to have to be a, a chocolate digestive and I don't think you can go wrong with a chocolate digestive So, no,
0: It's a, it's a safe choice isn't it, a safe choice It is And out of interest what would yours be?
1: Oh mine! At the minute, mine changes. I love biscuits. Mine changes every day. At the minute, I really like the chocolate orange galaxy digestives. That, but they're exclusive to ASDA, so you've got to go to ASDA, which is not great, but it's worth it for those for those <laughs> biscuits. Um, partial to a Fox's golden crunch cream. Um, always good with a cup of tea. Yeah, and I think you know. I don't think you can beat a jammy dodger.
0: No, I agree. All, again, solid choices. Okay, well, that's a nice way to open up. And like I said, just something that I wanted to ask following listening back to that part one. As you said, if nobody's, if people haven't listened to that, then they need to go back and listen to that. And actually, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is really um, came to me yesterday. So Mansfield game was postponed yesterday. Is that right?
1: It was, yeah. The yeah. only one in League Two to be off. <laughs> and it
0: got me thinking, um, you know, he spoke very openly in the first episode about... Um, how football has had a real positive impact on your mental health. And so I wanted to talk to you about um, how you managed through COVID uh, without, without the football, firstly, if we could start with that.
1: Yeah, so for me it was it was fine. I was everyone's got the views on it and it, and it's fine. It's one of those things which we'll never have a definitive answer to. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. It's just one of those things which happened in, in life and you and you've got to deal with it. It's part of history now, you know, in twenty years' time it will be on the the GCSE syllabus yeah. if it's not already. Um, so so there's that. For me, I was all right. My girlfriend um, stayed at my house for the majority of it. Um, so we were fine. I actually worked during the first lockdown, so I was busy. Um, at the time I worked at uh, Mansfield Town Football in the community, I was their media officer. Um, so a lot of my day uh, was taken up by creating content. There was four of us that stayed on me um, and basically just a couple of the the, the project leads. Um, my job was to liaise with them to see what they they needed and just to create content. So I was doing everything from designing work booklets to send to, to local schools who were obviously, you know, learning at home, that sort of thing. Um, creating video based content for like games that kids could play at home, getting up every morning and waiting for Joe Wicks to go live so I could share <laughs> his bloody uh, workout with Joe Wicks link on Facebook and Twitter and all of that stuff. I was busy every single day in that first lockdown. So the first half of the day was work, 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 work. Got to about one o'clock, um, and then you know the the rest of the day was was mine pretty much. But yeah, nonstop in the in the first one. Obviously the weather was hot, so it, we just sat outside. Yeah, um, had people around me. My dad. I lived with my dad at the time, so I was absolutely finding that first one. It was really the second and third ones which affected me um you know when football started sort of coming back it didn't it didn't really hit the, the first lockdown too much because it was that midpoint of the season anyway the season fizzled out there was only sort of what six or seven games of that campaign left anyway um it fizzled out um and then you know it was only really the, the next two uh I was furloughed in it didn't really enjoy it the weather was wasn't great I was bored mm. And that did affect me, but again, the beauty of football was there because by that time, football had, had come back. And um, whilst football, you know, we weren't able to, to go and watch it, we had the luxury of being able to do the podcast, and that kept us all going. So every single week, we were able to get on, get on here, chat to each other, talk about the game, almost like we'd been, even though we were watching it, and uh, made the most out of a bad situation. And I think if it wasn't for football in that second and third lockdown, especially. It would have been very different, but again, it saves you.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people will be in the same boat, won't they? That was um, football was a a really good way to to get through um, that difficult period. So, um, and I guess again, given the fact you were working for the club, you're getting a bit of a football fix there as well, aren't you?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. Um, you know, being able to work for your local club is great using that Mansfield Town badge was uh, was all good fun. So, yeah, you, you get a little bit of bit of it, but you're still very, very detached.
0: Yeah. So were you then, did you have any opportunities um, to do any of the um, commentating then during the, that COVID time?
1: No, not at all. No, the commentary thing only hit me last season by sheer accident um, when I managed to pick it up again. So in that time, I was very much a fan. We were in, I think, the fourth or, yeah, fourth series of doing the podcast and we did um and ah about whether we, we were going to do it or not. Hmm. Um, basically because you know we weren't able to, to go to games, so we weren't sure whether it would have the same impact or not. But what we found very quickly was that people at home needed it. And the amount of comments I still get to this day when people um, bump into you at the ground or recognise you or whatever saying, you guys doing the podcast during lockdown got me through, is something that will live with me forever. It wasn't great content. We had a laugh. It was probably quite repetitive a lot of the time, but we tried to make the best of a bad situation. And what we did hit on quite quickly was the fact that rather than just doing the podcast in the middle of the week, like we usually would, we made something out of match day. So we did a thing called the Cooldown Post-Match Reaction Show. I still have no idea why we called it that because it's a bloody (laughs) mouthful and I got it wrong every week. Um, Where we basically came on 15 minutes after the full-time whistle after every game, um, so we allowed people to go and get a drink, uh, put the kettle on, and also, you know, from a tech point of view, it allowed us to turn the computers on and uh, and what have you. Um, and we just talked about the game and, and ranted because we weren't very good for a, for a, especially at the start of that uh, season. We had a lot of engagement, and I think it really kept people going. The fact that you know they could go somewhere and talk about the game like they would do uh, in a pub afterwards. We were very almost strict with the way we did it we had like we had had a timer which we put in the top corner of the screen for like half an hour where we said it's going to be half an hour chat about the game we got people to vote on their man of the match and and that was it and mm. um yeah and just and just sort of did it uh, did it that way really
0: okay great and again it's really, obviously really positive to hear what a, a good impact that had on on all the City fans and everyone that was that was watching your show <laughs>
1: Yeah, and what we did sort of as well, halfway through, I don't remember, there was that weird period where COVID only expect, uh, only impacted certain postcodes. So there was that time where, you know, <laughs> people, if you were in a certain postcode, could go out and some actually managed to get to go to the game. Um, Cambridge were one in our league who managed to, to get there. So it was a Tuesday night game where Cambridge fans could go, Mansfield fans obviously couldn't. And we were sort of aware of the impact that would have on people's mental health before a game. So what we decided to do was wrap the game around the podcast. So we actually started doing a pre-match show as well as a post-match show where we, d- we came on um, just a- about sort of 10 to two. So if it was a Saturday, we'd come on about 10 to two. Um, we'd start with the team news, you know, talk about anything in the week, react to the team news. And then at half past that would be, it would be off. It'd be very quick, short, sharp um sort of thing. But we wrapped it around for, for that reason. And it was such a success in terms of numbers, engagement and people messaging us privately saying, let's do that, that actually that became part of the match day experience. And, you know, last season when we were able to go back, people were, ask, were asking and still do ask, to be fair, some, um, if we continue that. And the answer is no, because we're able to go go back again. And, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't want it to become a job. Um, it's The podcast's always been a bit of fun for me. During COVID, I was aware of the impact we could have on people's mental health. So sort of wanted to do as much as we could with that. We'd have like different bits and bobs um, but I would I didn't want to continue that once we were all able to to go again I wanted it to go back to some form of normality the only difference being we didn't go back to all being in the same room again we kept it virtual because you know also through lockdown you know people get a little bit busy don't they and uh, sh- shock two of the lads ended up having kids. So, you know, and then then one also moved away to uni and had a child. So it was it it was just easier now to do it virtually. And what that enables to do is actually connect with fans overseas as well, which is which is brilliant.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well there wasn't much to do was there in in those days. So I guess you um (laughs) I think there's a few children wasn't there born in in that time.
1: Yeah the baby boom is definitely a thing.
0: (laughs) Okay, now again when we were getting to the, the end of our last episode you said that you had some more stories on or maybe we're going to be able to explain to us the difference between going as an away fan sitting in the away end but also going in your press role if you like as a as a as a commentator as a press officer i know you mentioned one story about Tranmere away which i wanted to mention so we don't forget it
1: (laughs) yeah let's start with that then shall we yeah and i'll do a bit of a build up to it so when you are a commentator, when you are a neutral, it's fine because you just go into a ground, you go into a—it's essentially your office, um, and there is no difference. It just becomes your job. Each press box is different uh, in terms of space, in terms of facilities, in terms of view. Um, so there's that that you have to consider. But when you're a neutral. Um, it doesn't really impact. But what you've got to remember is nine times out of ten, these press boxes in stadiums are in the middle of the home fans, probably at the back of the stand nine times out of ten, but they are in the middle of the home supporters. Which means, at some grounds, the home supporters can very much hear what you're saying, (laughs) Um, which has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, And because I'm a Mansfield fan, I... Like I mentioned last time, put a lot of passion and energy and that sort of style into my commentary. It wasn't dull, boring, um, corporation-style commentary. Um, it was as I saw, I saw, said it as I saw it. I uh, often, you know, put try to be a little bit funny with it, try to feel a bit of humour in it with it. But the passion was definitely there. And Mansfield. At, the time of the Tranmere game last season did get to Wembley in the playoff final, and we were very much on for automatic promotion. And Tranmere were one of our rivals for a playoff spot at one point. And we go there to Prenton Park on a Friday night, and we're in great form. Um, you know, we're on an unbeaten run. We're really, really doing well, and we have a bit of an off night. And it gets to let's say the ninetieth minute. And we are losing. I think we are 2 1 down at this stage, might be wrong. Um, and we throw Ollie Hawkins, who is a striker, but for us was playing a centre half because we had a bit of a defensive crisis at the start of the season. Six foot eight or whatever, six foot ten. Throw him up front and he scores late on. Equaliser in front of the visiting fans. So obviously, passion there. I walk out my seat. I've got my <laughs> mate next to me who's also a Mansfield <laughs> fan. Um, he's travelled on the supporters bus with in jubilation we're screaming we're celebrating as we do um and um yeah it's it's funny because there's a Tranmere fan in front of us who is not happy about (laughs) the way we've celebrated this goal um thinks we are being a little bit you know over the top or whatever you know these things happen it's it's an opinion based game maybe if the boot was on the other foot i might have been the same whatever but he turns around and he's Giving it, he's screaming in our faces, swearing in our faces. It's being picked up on the microphones. I'm having to apologise for the language because it's you can hear it. So we've got an Atmos mic there as well, um, and yeah, it, it's just like really aggressive. Jesus. Two minutes later, they go down the other end and score a winner. So you can imagine what his reaction was, can't you? <laughs> yeah. Sc- literally screaming in my face, screaming down the microphone. He's got older me at one point and l- literally like, <laughs> so I can't get away screaming, celebrating and it's like, I have some of that, yeah. F in this, F in that. And I'm just like, again, I'm trying to remain calm and professional because I'm trying to commentate on what's going off. I'm trying to set the scene, I can't see because he's in my way. I'm trying to go around <laughs> him. And I think if I'd have had my usual co-commentator with me, he's a little bit more um, reactive. I think he may have... Sat him down, if that makes <laughs> sense. Whereas Alan, who was with me at the time, he's the loveliest bloke on the planet. So he was just laughing. He called, we used to call him Chuckles because he just used to do this chuckling, laugh at everything, and it was brilliant. And at the end of the game, they've obviously won, um, and he comes and, and shakes my hand, and uh, I, I, I just I, I shake his hand because I'm on air,
0: yeah,
1: and I don't let go of him. I wrap up. I turn. I let Alan speak and. We have like the 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 box in front of us, which has got switches on where you can mute your microphones. So I mute my microphone, mute the Atmos mic, so it's only Alan you can hear. I put my microphone up, take my headphone off. I've got hold of his hand, and I went, "If you fucking do that again, I will fucking chin you." Uh, like that is not like that is not the way to like that's not the way to be. Yes, celebrate, but you're 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 an embarrassment, and you won't get in the. You won't get in the playoffs, you know, and and uh, I just almost lose my rag a little bit, and I just sort of push him away. I'm not shaking my, I'm not shaking your hand to be friendly. It's a, you know, you've won fair enough, but there's no need to do what you did. Basically, I told him to fuck off. I'd lost been lost <laughs> my rag. Put my headphones back on. Put my microphone back on. Put the Atmos mic back on, and carried on. Um, and do you know what? Over the years that has happened to me a couple of times and I know it happens to other commentators as well we've got excellent commentators who do the club I follow but again uh, Martin Shaw and Dean Foulkes, um, they are both Mansfield fans so again Martin is very passionate probably a little bit more than me in terms of his style as well I can rein it in when I need to rein it in mm. and and have that that And I think Martin can as well, but he's because he it's very much his his club 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 as his commercial station. So I've got to think about other things as well at, at that point. Yeah. Um, and I know he's had it as well. I know he had it from someone further down at, at various grounds. And there was actually one incident last season where he was at, we were at Rochdale, and I was sat a couple of seats across from him, and there was a Rochdale fan who just wouldn't like disagreed with everything he said during the game, which I think is worse because you almost get into a slanging match because you start to hear them. When you've got your headset on, yes, you can hear everything that you're saying, but sometimes your automatic brain goes to what's around you. If someone's slating you all the game and disagreeing with everything you say and at points turns around and, and has a go that's even worse so i felt sorry for, for for martin and dean then martin especially who handled it superbly uh, by the way but certainly has happened to me over the years more so when i was younger because when i first started out doing solo commentary in 2011 um i didn't know what i was doing i was very much winging it um i had nobody ready to guide me at that point and I didn't really care. I was just sort of living in the moment and enjoying mm. it. And there were certain games, um, Luton away, where um, we—I think we'd won in the last minute. We uh, this season we went up as as champions. Again, same thing happened. Fans not happy with with the way we were. But there was a couple of seasons before at Luton where I had gone on the supporters' bus because I couldn't drive at that point. Um, and I've got all my bag in this sort of like duffel bag sort of thing over my shoulder, walking down this alleyway, pitch black, and all of a sudden these three Luton fans start chasing me. I've never <laughs> ran so fast in my life.
0: <laughs> oh, dear me.
1: That must be so off-putting,
0: though, when you have, you're have trying to, like you said, focus on doing your job, if you like, and commentating on the game and trying to explain it to the listeners at home and you've got some idiot yeah. sort of disagreeing with everything you say. And also, those fans that sit in those seats... You know, they must know that there's going to be, you know, press people from the away team.
1: Yeah, Uh, I think that that for me goes, I wouldn't say that grounds need to do more in terms of like protection of the press, because I I actually quite like the fact that you're in amongst the atmosphere, especially from the listeners point of view. You can put the Mm. atmosphere mic out and it makes it a better all round listen. But I do think that if, you know, those seats are there, that. You do need to understand that um, people may be passionate and and maybe screaming and maybe you know saying things which you disagree with. But I think there's ways and means of handling yourselves. And alcohol was definitely a factor for that Tramier fan that that, that night. Um, you could smell it on him a mile off. Yeah. Um, you know it's part it's part of the course, really. Um, and you just have to deal with it. I think when I was younger, when I first started doing it, I didn't deal with it as well. Um, And I've certainly been known to sort of back chat a little bit at the end or make sarky comments during the commentary itself. Um, (laughs) But as I got older last season when I did it, you know, I I, I just sort of laughed it off a little bit more and just, you know, said, oh, the home fans aren't happy. And Mansfield are really going to try and ramp it up again now to rub it in the faces and... um, do things a little bit more slyly, but that's the only real one last year, which was uh, an instant where I thought I could end up in a in a scrap here. But yeah, it's it's part of the game. You, you live and learn. Yeah.
0: And just can you just explain to us then a little bit about what it's like attending as someone from the press? Because I guess you know many away fans won't have experienced that, or won't ever get to experience that, and it's it's probably a lot less glamorous than what we think it is. Oh,
1: far, yeah. Yeah, it's it's horrible um, <laughs> sometimes. It, it really is. I think the Football League have it organised quite well. There's an online system that you have to use to register to get your passes and that. So that nightmare equation, the admin side of it, is is sort of um, out of it. You tend to arrive earlier. Um, let's say, for example, our show last season on a Saturday afternoon on the radio would start at one um, so nine times out of ten, I would be in the stadium and setting at least setting up by one o'clock, ready to be do my first live link on air at, at half past one. So you're in the stadium before anyone else. Um, so it's it's quite fun to to watch how many people come in at what certain points and yeah. get settled and and, and taking different bits and bobs which go off on a match day. Um, but it's yeah. The, the worst thing, I think, is trying to find where things are. You get to know, like, the, sometimes you'll go to grounds that you've commentated at two or three times before and you know where things are, but it's finding your way. You'll get there and you'll go and get your passes from one place. Then you've got to go to another place to, you know, go and sign in and then go up to the press box. Sometimes you have to walk through lounges and, uh, and whatever. It, it is a stressful thing, and the worst thing is just getting everything set up you've got lots of different equipment um you've got i used to take i had three different bits of broadcast equipment that i could use last season um we had the main one which is called an isdn kit which is what most broadcasters will use but that relies on the facility it's like an ethernet port um basically um for crystal clear audio but that requires the ground that you're visiting to have enough ports for you. And quite often in League Two, there's not. Um, so then we had another little bit of kit, which was like a, basically a, a more of a bigger mobile phone, a bit more like techie stuff inside it, which may, again made it as clear as possible. Um, and then I always had my laptop and a little mixing desk that I could use to like use Skype or use the software that I'm using now to dial into the studio online. So there was always options that I had. So you've got all this kit and you get a, one seat and sometimes a desk, which is probably about this big, maybe just like a square. Think about a square pop-up table that you'd get to use. Not all clubs have got big desk spaces for you to use. Mansfield has because it's above the director's box. Um, some have got fold-down tables. Forest Green is horrendous because it's really close <laughs> to the pitch. Um, it's really tight space. Northampton similar Doncaster is quite good because it's a new ground so you've got more more space but depending on where you go you've got space to sit into and things like that and sometimes you can become cramped so you're almost commentating like this really scrunched up and not room for your notes and things and also impacting impact on view so one of the worst ones um, is Barrow. And I love Barrow, as I mentioned in the first episode. I've commentated there a number of times now. I love yeah. going back either as a fan or as a, as a broadcaster. But their press box is old-fashioned style. It is a literal box at the back of their terraced stand. It's got uh, plastic-fronted windows on, and it's got a door. So it, two doors at either end, so it becomes an enclosed room. So from an audio perspective, that's a nightmare. Years yeah. and years ago, they'd literally literally used to be that you had to put a microphone outside in the stand if you wanted to get some Atmos. Now, they've drilled glory holes at the top of their, <laughs> of their press box with massive drills. There's about six glory holes at the top, and you literally have to pop your microphone through this glory hole with a long, long lead to get Atmos. And it works. It really does work. Um, But the problem is, of course, it's in a terrace stand. So they'll give you a plastic seat and a table, which you've got a nice bit of room in there. But you've got glass, like plastic glass sort of frontage, which is smudged. And then you've got supporters who lean up against it. You can't see. So you literally, you're you're standing up and you're all dodging around each other. You're going like left, right and centre to try and see the action. And the different that's the really difficult one to commentate in because yes you've got the atmosphere bringing the atmosphere into into your ears and, and everything um, which is really really good but you switch off for a second you become very self-conscious and very self-aware that you're just in a, re- a closed room with other people that are trying to do the same thing and that is a horrible feeling
0: yeah yeah i can and imagine I think,
1: I think from the point of view of you know going there as, as an away fan you know No, I never wore colours. I don't like wearing colours to an away game anyway. You can ask me why later on. Um, I just don't do it. So I always, you know, smart, casual, um, easily blend in. But it's finding where things are. You know, if if you're at half time, you're desperate for a wee and you need to, you know, there's no press. There's a press room sometimes where you can get a, a coffee or a biscuit if you're lucky. But that's not a given either. So nine times out of 10, you go into queue at the, queue at the kiosk with everybody else. I've got f- literally, not even th- the full 15 minutes because the half finishes, you do a two to three minute summary with your co-commentator and you hand back to the studio. Um, so that's five minutes of half time gone already. And then you need to be back for the five minutes before halftime finishes in case they come out early or to spot any substitutions. So you've got a five minute gap. That's five minutes to get out of the press row, which sometimes can be so tight, you, you know, you're packed in like sardines, to find somewhere to go and have a wee and maybe to try and get a coffee or a tea if you're lucky. It doesn't happen. So sometimes in the second half, you're there, they're crossing your legs. And then, of course, <laughs> at the end of the game, you've got to go and do post-match interviews. Well, it's great at home games because you know where it is. Away games, um, it's quite often pitch side. And you'd think, oh, it's easy to get from the stand to pitch side. Not all the time. Tranmere again, coming back to them, you couldn't get from the press box at the top of the main stand to pitch side directly. You had to go down through the concourse, out of the state, through the boardroom, like hospitality suite, downstairs, out of the stadium. And then you had to go back into the stadium to get pitch side and if you weren't quick, the gates were short. So you, you're always you're trying to go through the tra- the, the passing tramier fan traffic as well, not easy. So it's 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 quite difficult, I think, as going as an away fan. And I think it, for me, I, as a commentator, I always like to be on the halfway line, which nine times out of ten press boxes are. So I always prefer that view at, at um, grounds. But you do sometimes look across to the away end and uh, think, oh, it'd be nice to. Being there, but at some grounds as well. I remember the first one that I did last season. Um It, like I said last time, literally on the day of the game, I got a phone call saying, "Can you cover tonight?" I got there at ten past seven because I was on the supporters' coach, Um and uh, basically, Paul got there, ran into the ground. All the kit had been set up for me anyway, and I couldn't see the away end because I didn't didn't know where it was. I'd never been there before. It was pitch black and. Yeah, it really struggled to find the coach at the end of the game as well, which was, which was fun. Nearly got left in Sutton. that yeah. have been great. <laughs> so actually, it sounds quite stressful. Yeah, it is. It is because you know not only have you got to find, you don't know what, what equipment's going to work. Yeah, you've been to- you might have been told that you've got this line or whatever. Had it at Scunthorpe. Yeah, you've got this line. Some from somebody from uh, a, a corporation mm. turns up. Um, oh, we're from duh, 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 duh. this is our line. Rips you out, and you're you're done. And so you then need to switch equipment and all of this stuff. It is an absolute nightmare. And I can honestly say, as I looked through the fixture list this season, when I thought that we were going to have commentary again this season, there's probably only five grounds, five or six grounds teams that are highlighted thinking I'm looking forward to going there to doing commentary them because the rest do give you sleepless nights. <laughs>
0: And do you get then you mentioned tea and coffee, do you get fed at any places?
1: Some do, some don't. They don't have to. Um, some give you vouchers um for for a free drink or a, a free sausage roll or whatever. Um it just depends on on where you go. Some have got like press rooms. Crawley have a press room where they've got like biscuits and sandwiches on the go. I think Bradford did, um I can't really remember. Um others you, you don't get you don't get anything. You you you're not privileged to get anything. It's not like we said before. It's not a glamorous it's not a glamorous world. So take some jaffa cakes with you. Take a take a packet of crisps or a Mars bar for for half time.
0: And then, do you? So would you say that you prefer? I know you've obviously really enjoyed doing the country, but do you prefer actually being in the away end with the rest of the Mansfield fans?
1: No. And anyone who asks me that, I always say that. I'd, I, if I had a straight choice now, uh, if someone's got a gun to my head and says, "Right, you can live, and um, you can you can live, but you have to go in the away end." every week um and you can never commentate again i'll say shoot me because i always live in that hope that i'm going to get that commentary back that's mm. it's more it's more what i want want to do and anyone that knows me will, will do that don't get me wrong i love everybody that i go to away games with i love the experiences that that, that gives but i just cannot watch the game in the same way in the away end. i often zone out um up doing commentary in my head that's just not where my calling is, and I genuinely think next season, once I've completed this season, unless we get promoted and there's new grounds on the card, I'll start watching more and I follow next year because cost of living. Um, I can be doing mm. better things on my Saturday, and my heart's just not in it away from away from home.
0: Okay, so you, really, you're giving a good little free commentary to the people that are stood round about you, then, aren't you?
1: oh no it's all in my head I never, I never 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 do it out loud i'm not i'm not mad Well, <laughs> I'm mag, did... so i've got voices in my head i don't know i don't know how it works
0: <laughs> so we've talked about again on the last episode maybe some of the stadiums that were maybe not your favorite to visit have you had i know you mentioned wembley there have you had the opportunity to go to some grounds where you thought wow bloody hell, this is fantastic
1: I think from uh, both from a, a, an away end point of view and a fan point of view, point of view and a, a commentary point of view as well. Yes, um, we got Sunderland in the FA Cup um, last season before I was commentating. Because um, annoyingly, was like round one, um, but again, lovely stadium, stadium alight. Really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Up in the gods, so you couldn't couldn't see sod all, but uh, and they tried <laughs> to sort of stifle the atmosphere and everything, but. Lovely little ground. Went to Newcastle in the FA Cup uh, when I was younger, years and years ago. Nice little ground there as well. Uh, Really enjoyed going to St. James's Park. Um, Doncaster, from a press point of view, is nice. It's only down the road. Nice stadium. um, Good facilities. Good view. Um, There's there's definitely a fair few of them. And strangely, like I keep saying, I enjoy going to Barrow. And Exeter I always enjoyed as well because... It was the away end, the seating for the away end. I always try and get a if I can. I don't like standing up. Uh, the seating, side of the pitch, and Exeter, if you've traveled a long way, give you a voucher for a free cup of tea. A lovely part of the world as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, those yeah. little things are great for a visiting supporter. Um, and like I mentioned you know, in show one, I don't drink alcohol. I don't do pubs. I don't like going in, in bars before the game. Um, it makes me feel really anxious and really uncomfortable. I don't like being in there at all. Um so anywhere that's got a fan zone maybe outside or something around it where you can go is great as well and I actually have to say that Carlisle it was a really, really good one. I'm a really fussy eater, and I like I have my favorite chippy where I live, and I won't go to any other chippy elsewhere um. <laughs> But I went to Carlisle and they've got a lovely fan zone outside their ground. Lots of benches around. Cover, they've got umbrellas from the rain. They've got like donut stores. They've got ice cream stores. They had a chippy van, coffee bar. It's brilliant. It really is. It, it's what every club I believe should have. A few people went before me and, and um, had the chips. And, you know, I, I could smell them. I thought, these actually smell really nice. And they look really nice as well. And I thought, do you know what? Tonight I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to be I'm going to be a brave little soldier, and I'm going to get um, fish and chips. I'm going to have to get get like going to get chips, chips and sausage. What I always get. Um, He was going to put curry sauce on, by the way. And I went, whoa, 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 fella! I'm not having any of that, son. Don't want vinegar. Job done. Um, Plenty. And you know what? It's the. I sat there and I did not leave a single chip. They were gorgeous. <laughs> never had never had chips at a football stadium like that before outside beautiful. So if you're going to Carlisle fan zone get yourself some chips. Spot on.
0: <laughs> yeah, make sure you get to the chip the chip van. And you mentioned there then about not wearing colours when you travel away. Yeah. So explain to us about that.
1: So years ago i and i'm talking when i was probably 12 or 13 i did used to go in the bars before a game i used to go with my brother half brother um, my dad um and, and a group of people and we went to rochdale once uh, i don't actually believe that the the particular pub is there now i think it's uh, rightly been flattened and houses been built on it um went to the loo as you do and uh, went in the cubicle and as i was coming out uh turned round and a drunken and i probably want to say there were drugs involved as well uh, rochdale fan came in saw me with my shirt on called me all sorts of names and before i knew it i was being uh, beaten up um, hell. yeah um, and i was probably 12 13 at the time blows to the face everything um Bloody hell. then it probably got about four blows in and then um went went back out of the toilet and, and that was that um I cleaned myself up. I didn't want to say anything to anyone, um, but people around me clearly knew that there's something wrong. Yeah. Got it out of me, and it kicked off on on the street. There were banning orders. There were everything. There were, there were police vans there. It was horrendous, and it has mentally scarred me to this day. I don't like going in public toilets. I, I actively avoid it if I can. I'm always looking over my shoulder. I don't like it. It's put me off pubs, and it's put me off certain away grounds and for a long time I, I didn't want to go to um to Rochdale it was actually the first time I went back as a as a fan um well not as a well as a fan was actually this season um right. I didn't want to go um th- but I'd been back the year before to do commentary and it was actually a nice experience this time around and I think that demon's been ticked off a little bit but from that point onwards I never wanted to wear colours visibly. When I say I don't wear colours, I mean I don't wear them visibly. So I'm talking then that I would have my shirt over my coat or my hoodie, you know, like most people yeah. do. Um, now I'll sometimes wear it underneath or sometimes nine times out of ten won't wear it uh, at all. I just can't do it. And yeah, you know, I should, probably shouldn't let a small idiot, uh, absolute moron have that effect on on me, but it, it has and... Do you know what I'd much rather just keep my head down go and watch the game because that's what I enjoy most and that's that I don't need to be involved in people having a pop to make themselves look big in front of their mates or whatever I don't need that nobody needs that they should not go to a football game and not want to go again.
0: No, that's so shit and I think it's you know it's understandable you know given that experience why you wouldn't want to wear colors why you wouldn't want to go back into a pub. You know, so so when that when you went back out of the toilet, did it then kick off because people had realised what had happened to you?
1: Yeah, it took a good probably two or three minutes because I I was visibly upset. Um, and then yeah. once people got out of it, obviously it was it everyone just most of the Mansfield fans who were in there, some of which, and I mean this in the the nicest way possible, are the group that are, are wanting something like that to happen. Yeah. Um, we everyone has got that core of supporters I don't agree with it and I don't want it and I certainly didn't want what happened to happen um, they got up and stormed out and um, yeah, basically just picked fights with whoever they could see in, in Rochdale shirt so there were probably innocent people on the opposite side who were Rochdale fans who maybe got caught up in that as well and that's what I didn't want and yeah, they were banning orders it went to court for a while um, as well it was, uh, it, it, it was horrendous and ironically we're in court to give uh statements for uh for people that were in- involved in it and i went to the loo uh, my dad came in with me this time and the same person who attacked me came in the toilets fuck off no way yeah 100 percent.
0: and was that coincidence or is that him trying to intimidate you do you think
1: i don't know i've, I've never ever given it any thought um I just find it, as I look back now, I just find it funny
0: as and it and ironic. And, you know, you mentioned people feel like they want to act big and tough in front of their mates or, you know, to represent their club, if you like. But actually, this guy's, you know, beating up a 13-year-old, so is he really looking that big and tough?
1: Exactly. It's, no. it's daft, but it's also, you know, I think the media's got a lot to blame for it. Um, films like Football Factory and Green Street, you know, made it. Yeah, feel like it put it in the public eye didn't it, it made it feel like it was actually a thing and you know I'd have hated to be growing up in the 60s, 70s 80s when it was absolutely rife um, because it's nowhere near as as bad as it was Um, but still there's no place for it and to glorify it in the way that they did in those films um, and still doing some films now and I think is absolutely wrong and it sends the wrong message. And the the thing which really, really boils my blood is when I see 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds wearing the the gear, um, you know, can kind of fosters or whatever in their hand on the street, <laughs> acting all big and tough. And I'm just like, mate, your bedtime's about half past eight. <laughs> Go home to your mum and get her to read you an, a, a, a bedtime story. It, it just infuriates me that that is... They're because of those films and because of that sort of social media movement in some areas, I'm not saying that it's massive, but there's a percentage in there that are growing up with that mindset. And I just think that's such a shame for people who end up becoming innocent bystanders. And I'll tell you this anyone who is setting out on a Saturday afternoon to. Go for anything other than watching the football and having a having a good time with the friends and making good honest memories. There's no place for you in the same category as me or my friends as a as a supporter.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm sure that makes sense. I'm sure that, that I hope that's not me going. I think you're a dick. That's me going. There's two categories, and I don't I don't fall into that that yeah.
0: side of it. It doesn't make you sound like a dick at all. And actually, I think. You know, we saw what happened at um, Blackpool Burnley last week. You know, Mm. fighting led to someone losing their life, which is, I'm sure everybody will agree, regardless of what type of fan you are. It's just not worth that, is it? It's not worth someone losing their life. You know, it's a game at the end of the day. It's
1: a fucking game, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and that's all it is. You know, people going with with the kids. I sit now in my season ticket seat with a dad and his two daughters who must be probably 12 and maybe 8. Obviously, the two girls have started coming the last couple of seasons, since obviously the Euros and everything, the female football movement, which is fantastic. um, And they're really into it. But if they had come or if they see or witness anything like that, that will put them off. And then we're going backwards again. And it's not um, the place to be. And, you know, when someone... Nobody should ever go to a football match and not come home.
0: Absolutely not. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm sure everyone will agree with that and i don't want to keep pressing you on this because i uh, you know i understand it must be difficult to talk about but did that person show any remorse as to what happened
1: no no it's it's part and parcel do you know what it'll be their part of it might might be a different story in entirely it might be one of those things with hey remember when you did that to that mansfield fan and probably a legend in amongst his mate circles it's perception that's all it is. It's perception. And my perception of it is you're a prick.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, most, you know, if not everybody will will agree with that. And like like we said already.
1: There'll be some that won't. There'll be some like, what you're on about is part and part getting a kicking at football is part and parcel of it. But mm. you are if if that's you, you're the problem.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, is there? You've mentioned then. There's some, some. Obviously, you didn't fancy going back to Rochdale. Is there any grounds that you sort of don't look forward to going to?
1: Uh, not on that scale. No, I think that's that's very much an anomaly in the in my life history of of watching football. Um, I don't particularly enjoy the the bigger derby days because it's part and parcel of it. Sadly, yeah. Um, big crowds that roll in it. Three minutes past three when we've already kicked off and you know don't know where they're going and stand in the aisles and get the flares out and all that I'm not I'm not saying that that shouldn't be a, a part of it Um, I'm not saying that they that they're wrong I'm just saying for me it ruins it it just yeah. it's, it's it's not part of the I, I just don't like it I, I just think it's yeah it's, it's just not for me it ruins my day a little bit because all it will take, and I'm sure it, it has. I know in some countries it's part of it's definitely part and parcel of it. You see loads of them, don't you? But yeah. all it takes is you know someone to get hit on the head with with one of them and get second or third degree burns from it or whatever. It's a disaster waiting to happen. It just ruins the experience. But I don't think there's any ground that I particularly dislike going to, or there'll be there'll be certain away days that I'm not looking forward to. Um, but I think that's more crowd volume than anything else
0: okay so actually you prefer to go when there's maybe smaller crowds
1: yeah um and you know i don't think that's a, necessarily a, a bad thing i just think sometimes that they you get good memories from as good a memories from them as you do the bigger ones um like take for example carlisle recently away on a tuesday night we all had a laugh you know there was only Probably less than two hundred of us that went up there on that Tuesday night. Um, they were one of the top scorers in the league. Yet we pummeled them like four or five nil. We had a really good night that, that night, and we had a, a good laugh. We went into the the fan zone before the game. I had the the chips and <laughs> had a laugh and everything before, and it was it it, it was good. They, they were it's those little things which uh which make it worthwhile and i value those a little bit more than what i do um the the shorter ones if you like the more nearby ones because it's more of a day you know you're getting up early um you we're doing quizzes on the bush you're having a laugh you're playing games you're listening to music you're having a sing-along and it becomes more of a more of a memorable it's it's more of a bigger day out than it just is the 90 minutes it's beyond the 90 minutes i think oh yeah it's a good name for a podcast that it is
0: yeah yeah i like that i love that Okay, so, and I know again on the first episode you mentioned one of the first away trips that you can remember I think it was huddersfield away do yeah. you have a do you have a particular favorite away day? Is there a particular result that sticks in the memory?
1: Oh, there's been plenty over the years um I, mainly for the wrong reasons um <laughs> last year last year's playoff semi final second leg against Northampton's definitely up there for me. Um, obviously got to commentate on it, so the passion and, and stuff goes into it. The relief at full-time that we were going to Wembley, that emotional realisation that, fucking hell, I'm going to get to commentate on my team at Wembley again um, was insane. Um, yeah. You know, just the scenes which come after it, everybody together, those sort of ones. Um, yeah, there's, there's loads over the years. It really is difficult to sort of pick and choose those ones which... Which stand out? Because it's always the recent ones which are in the, the forefront of your mind. I'm sure if I sat down and thought a little bit more about it, there'll be ones which um, which pop up. Um, I remember going to to Wrexham um, when we were in the conference years and years and years ago. Um, I can't remember the result, um, but all I remember is. Again, we went in the turf pub, which has now become famous for the the Wrexham yeah. documentary on Disney And yeah. um, playing pool in there, I remember us having a pool tournament in there with yeah. some Wrexham fans. That was quite cool. Again, you know, I must have I'd have only been probably sixteen, seventeen when when that was. So um, before I stopped going into the pubs and stuff. But uh, there's that. There's games where we've we've been. Um, Newport a few years uh, a few years ago again in the conference there was an accident on the motorway we didn't get there till five to three Um, stuck I remember being stuck on uh, the motorway at a standstill and people going up and down the uh, the motorway selling crisps and drinks to people because in in the cars it it was a standstill and (laughs) that sort of thing there's there's loads of different things one of the ones which stands stands in in my memory um, is uh, again, years and years ago, before we got relegated out of the Football League. Remember when Peter Kay did the uh, lip sync to Is This The Way To Amarillo? Yeah. For some reason, someone thought that would be a great idea to put that on a CD, um, buy that CD that you got for comic relief or whatever it was, and put it <laughs> on a fucking loop for Bristol <laughs> oh, <come> Rovers. <laughs> and we were at the back of the bus, and we changed the... We changed the lyrics of it to, is this the way to Bristol Rovers? And like Port Mansfield went into it. I can't remember all of it. Um, and the driver, honestly, was a dead ringer for Johnny Vegas. Uh, he thought he was a comedian. Um, and yeah, he just kept playing it over and over again. I just remember us singing that um, as well. Um, uh, there's two stories which are in my head at the minute, and I'll give I'll give them you, you both, but you can choose which one you have first. Um, Carlton Palmer sacked at Rochdale dancing on the bus or (laughs) legging it from secondary school and my deputy head chasing me down the village around the village. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that in the first episode, so let's go for that one first. Okay, so, um, this must be 2003, 2004, maybe. Can't for the life of me remember who we were playing. Um, Tuesday night away game, um and at lunchtime I had a a pass, Uh, you know, we could sign ourselves out, I lived quite near the school so we could go home at lunchtime if if we wanted to and I used to quite a lot and I just remember my teachers knowing that I was a Mansfield fan and knowing that I was potentially going to go to the game and uh, my deputy head teacher I think his name was Mr Gomersall. if I'm wrong I (laughs) apologise Mr
0: Gomersall, if you're listening
1: yeah, well, maybe not. I That's not even you. his I... name.
0: It's not even his name, so it doesn't matter if he's Probably his name.
1: <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it is or not. I, I can't remember. It's that long ago. Um, but I remember him saying, "You're not leaving." He saw me at morning break. He went, "You're not leaving at lunchtime today. And if I catch you, I'm dragging you back in this school for detention because I know what you're up to this afternoon." <laughs> so there was about four ways out of our school, so I had to plot my way out very, very care like carefully. And it just so happened that the lesson that I had before lunch was in, we had this tower block, um, which was the main entrance, which sat annoyingly above the head's corridor, so the deputy head's office. And I walked out, and the bottom of the stairs came out at the end of their corridor. And lo and behold, he was there waiting for me, wasn't he? (laughs) uh, As I came down, he went, priest, get in here! And I I just turned, and I just... I just bolted out, i just bolted out this door and the drive legged it down this driveway main road at the end of the driveway um I didn't even look to see if there were any traffic coming I just pegged it down this main main road um managed to to get home but I looked over my shoulder and he was still there as I was getting to the bottom of the hill um <laughs> he was still there looking around for me debating whether to like chase me all the way down and I just managed to like. Get home, get changed because we needed to catch a bus, which was during the lunch break. But the <laughs> bus stop, the the bus stop, the only place it stops to get into Mansfield from my village was right outside the school. <laughs> so there's me and my half brother, and I tell him to go and wait at the bus stop, and I'm hidden in these bushes. Have you ever seen the the, the Channel Four show, Hunted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I'm like a fugitive in these bushes. <laughs> at, by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Hunted podcast. Search for it. Cheers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm like hiding like a fugitive um, in these bushes. And I say to my, my half-brother, give me a signal when the bus is coming because you can see it coming down. And I'll leg it across the road and we'll get on the bus and we'll get away. And I can, I'm can, i hidden in these bushes opposite, opposite school and I can see the deputy head stood at the gate. The gate's there. The bus stop's about there, right? So there's, there's probably about... 100 yards between the gate and the bus stop. And it's a sprint. So I see that I get the signal, the bus is coming. I've got to get across this main road, get on this bus before he gets to me. I don't know how I did it to this day. I do not know how I did it, but I managed it. We lost quite heavily. Next morning, he stood at the door doing the tie checks. You remember them when you went to school, you yeah. checks? And he just stops and he's just there with this smug fucking look on his face and just goes, Who's the real winner? Then I went, yeah, still got away from you, though, didn't I? Bye. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, amazing. Yeah, and, yeah, and it got to the point after that that my tutor used to, on a Tuesday morning, used to do the register and used to say, uh, "A Mansfield playing tonight, Craig? And I used to, I'd i go, yeah. yeah, she'd go, uh, home or away? <laughs> away, miss, right? I'll oh, mark you down as absent this yeah. afternoon then. <laughs> <laughs> no word of a lie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So what's the what was the last story, the Colton Palmer story?
1: Oh, so Carton Palmer, everybody will know, is a controversial figure. We've since had him on the Mansfield Matters podcast, by the way, which was a very interesting episode, to say the least. We'll come on to that in a little bit. Um, but he was Stag's manager. He was a friend of the chairman uh, at the time, and it wasn't a very popular appointment. Keith Curl had been sacked in favour of Carton Palmer. And so when, face- when was this... This has got to be 2004. Right. Yeah, 2004. So it's probably 2005 when we talk about the incidents. He managed to survive a, a season, uh, just over a season. Um, we're playing... Anyway, it's all kicking off. Everybody wants him out. Nobody wants him as manager. We're playing absolute crap. And we get turned over at Rochdale. He plays this weird 3-4, 2-1 um, formation or whatever. Uh, players haven't got any idea what he was playing. He changed it after <laughs> like 10 minutes, changed it back. Brought a sub on and then dragged the sub off. The, the same sub off. Madness. Absolute madness. Um, and anyway, comes to the end of the game. The pressure's mounted and he's quit on live radio. We've got back on the bus <laughs> and the news has filtered through that he's quit. And we're all dancing on the bus. We've been <laughs> pummeled, by the way. We're all celebrating, cheering. All these Rochdale fans walking down the side of the bus, looking at this coach going, what on earth? are you doing? You know, they've just they've just been absolutely turned over and yet we're celebrating like we've we've, we've won the league and uh <laughs> it was brilliant and uh never told him that when he came on the podcast <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say um but i don't think you'll care that much but we did a, a we well we'd regularly do a series called stag stories where we get old players back on and we had one um last year, might, might have been last year, might have been the year before, I can't remember, Adam Rundle, who played under Carlton Palmer and was the player who we brought on at Rochdale and then took off at half-time. And he's telling this, um, he's telling this story uh, about a time where um, he's, so for context, right, search Mansfield Matters on YouTube because the clip is on there, it's brilliant. A really funny story and I don't do it justice at all. But, um, the chain, the training facilities at that time were non-existent so we used to train at the ground on the top pitch which was just a, like, a, a land of grass and all the players have gone out and the toilets and that are just horrendous the facilities are crap and he said look I needed a shit um, so he snuck into the manager's office because he's got the best facilities um, and like he used like the referees room as his changing rooms palmer apparently used to like to join in snuck in and you know was doing a number two now he sat on the on the loo doing his business when palmer is assistant and a player walk in and um no palmer is assistant when his coaching staff walk in and they're slagging the players off and he said i don't know what to do do i knock on the door and say hey someone's in here and front up and you know take take the flag but, no, you know, he just stays there hoping that nobody will try the door, silent listening, he's slagging all the players off. Um, there's uh, a player who ended we brought in the summer, Matt Tipton, who was homesick and didn't want to play for us, and we ended up shipping him back out on loan. We were talking about his situation, all this personal stuff, and he's in the toilet listening, hoping to, like, clenching, because you don't want, you know, the sound <laughs> of the poo to drop in the water and everything. And, like, and he's, he said something like... Honestly, that's the quickest shit I've had. Once they left the room, <laughs> I was, uh, it was just hilarious. And um, it there was something about I got Carlton Palmer sacked. I can't remember what it was, but we used this as like the clickbait thing because we knew it'd take off. We knew it'd fly on social media, and. Um, we tagged Carlton Palmer in it, and he replied to it, and was a little bit arsy at the start, saying, "You know, I've got, an, I've got a right to, to, to voice my opinion and, and that sort of thing." I'm like, "Yeah, come on the show then." Yeah, but we knew it'd be political about it. We knew it'd be about him and the relationship with the old chairman. Um, and do you know what? To, to give carton palmer his credit and a lot of people have said this he was one of the loveliest people that we've, we've had on the podcast tried to get his views across and about his friendship with the chairman but we shot it down and once he sort of knew that we weren't going to let him do that he just opened up and it was actually a really yeah. insightful chat
0: right great well we can put a link out to that for anyone for anyone listening who or you know would be interested it's fair to say he's a bit of a divisive character isn't he
1: yeah, it certainly is, and he still divides opinion now. God bless him. But uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting episode to, to say the least. But what I will say is, he was uh, he had some beers on the go during it, and I lost. You know, I, I think there was more than one bottle which was consumed during this hour chat which we had with him.
0: Right. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Yeah.
1: You're lovely, bloke though. Really, yeah, and, and,
0: and, and fair play to him for for coming on as well. I guess.
1: Yeah, I was a bit apprehensive because I didn't know how our fans w- would take it. And uh, to be fair, they were they were lovely about it and said, you know, it was really really nice. And um, yeah, it'd be he said quite a lot of stuff which we'd maybe like to get some follow ups from from other people. But it's a lot of time and energy trying to get it sorted sort of out. But who knows what might happen in the future?
0: Yeah. Okay. And. Um, you know we could talk all day really about this, but I think maybe a nice way to finish off would be to talk about your experiences of Wembley, so how many
1: times have you done that twice twice with, yeah um it, for me it's it's good and it's it's not good. I have um good and bad experiences uh with it um to commentate at Wembley on your team. Is a dream. Yeah. And for me, for it to come true twice is phenomenal. And both times we've lost, both have been different games and both have been quite emotional. But the first time I did it um, was in something called the FA Trophy in May, two, 7th of May, 2011. It is the worst cup final which has ever, ever been played at Wembley Stadium Darlington won one nil in extra in the 119th minute. Um, <laughs> horrible, twenty six thousand there at Wembley. Um, unreal. But I'd only been commentating as a lead commentator for a couple of months since February of that year. Um, didn't know what I was doing, and didn't um, we didn't have the best of broadcast equipment. And to be honest we had a very small audience if an audience at all that day because everyone naturally would have been there cause, you know um, it's the first time since 1987 since the stags got there um have yep. have won at wembley before they won at the old wembley in 1987 when they won the freight rover trophy on penalties against bristol city before my uh, time so um, i don't even,
0: i don't even know what that is is that like the yeah. johnson paint ldv that's van? exactly
1: yeah that's what it is yeah it's uh, papa john's trophy it is now that's so, it yeah um it's exactly what it is uh, but the FA Trophy is basically the conference equivalent of that. We got yeah. to the final. God knows how, because it was the worst Mansfield team ever in history. Um, and I was actually lucky enough as part of that to get to go uh, to Press Day. So um, it was for that and uh, and the FA Vars, which is similar um, to, to that as well, for lower non-league teams. Got to go to Wembley for Press Day. Got to go have a tour around the stadium, go in the dressing room, sit with the trophy and things like that. That's cool. And it is cool, but (laughs) we're talking at a time in my life where I was skinny as a rat, didn't have a suit that fitted, and (laughs) uh, didn't really know what I was doing. I've got photos of me interviewing the players in the stands and the chairman and things like that, which is great. And stood pitch side with the manager, who sadly, Duncan Russell, God bless him. I just believe it's his birthday today. He's no longer with us. He died a few years ago. Lovely, lovely man. Um, And it was a great experience commentating on the day i can't really remember too much about it um other than when we got there the commercial station that i was with last season and got to commentate at wembley with uh, had gone there and tony my mentor was there and it's the first time that i'd seen him for a long time since it had all kicked off before and he said i'm really proud of how you've come so that was a really nice thing yeah um but i can't remember much much of it i, I have a recording of it somewhere uh, but it's not the greatest quality because we didn't have the best kit. And, of course, we lost. But there's a story about that. My dad went that day. He drove, drove us down. And by pure accident or coincidence, his ticket happened to be on the same row as where I was sat in the commentary box. You could not predict that. Wembley's facilities, by the way, out of this world. Insane. Um, I was really just going to really ask. I'm, I'm assuming better facilities than Barrow. yeah just a bit yeah no glory holes at Wembley (laughs) at least not in the stand anyway uh, (laughs) um, yeah it's uh, one of those things where uh, we lost in the last minute so I'm I've still got the microphone somewhere I don't know where it is I think it's in a bag, maybe at my dad's somewhere and so I still used it. I kept it as a memento I'm sitting there with some headphones on holding this microphone commentating along and Chris Senior scores for Darlington in the last minute, and my head, according to my dad, just drops to the the press bench. I can't look because everyone's cheering. Now, bear in mind, you know what I was saying earlier about having headphones on and being able to hear your own voice and everything? I didn't have that at Wembley because we didn't have good enough kit. So I could hear all the Darlington fans cheering and everything else going off. So I'm there, head on the table, commentating, going along. At the end of the game, as soon as I've finished and handed back to the, the studio, I dropped the microphone. There's actually a chip in the microphone at the front where I've dropped it, but I will never throw that away. And do you know what? I f if I thought if that's the only chance I get to commentate at Wembley, because once the season after we got to the playoffs, um, got to the semi final and got knocked out at home, um, season after that we won the conference and then the year after that I stopped commentating. Yeah. Um due to a broadcast rights and all that. Boring stuff. And I thought, you know, if I never get to commentate at Wembley again, how many people can actually say that they've commentated at Wembley Stadium on their, their club? It, it's an amazing thing to have done. And I genuinely said to myself, if, you know, if it's the only time I ever do it, then it is what it is. Great. Um, and then when we got to the playoff final last year and I realised that I'd get to commentate at Wembley again, I was great because as lovely as it was, commentating for the charity station that i was with in 2011 when i did comment commentary i always wanted to do it with mansfield 103.2 who were the station which found me molded me gave me the chance and changed my life and to be able to do that as lead commentator with um A guy called Lee Wilson, who was my co-commentator last year, um, who had been through his own trauma. I'm sure he won't won't mind me sharing. He actually lost his daughter um, less than a year prior to, to that. So he was having his own struggles, but he was great alongside me. We... We met for the first time at Doncaster when we did a game together and we just clicked. Um, I didn't know how to take him, but we just clicked as two Mansfield fans. We had really good banter. Still keep in touch with each other now. I do bits for his charity that he set up in his daughter's name, Lashes Foundation. um, Go and check them out. Um, And so to be able to share Wembley with him was fantastic. But I also, after my time as a commentator at the charity station, I did an apprenticeship there um, and got a qualification where I mentored young people in radio skills and I met a young lad um, called Cam who is very much still part of the Mansfield Matters podcast and often sits in with um, for me as host and um, things like that. He's doing a university degree at the moment um, and last season towards the back end of it when Wils uh, Lee was unavailable um, Cam stepped in and did a bit of experience. He did the Last game of the season, he did the first leg of the playoffs with, with us um, and to be able to bring him there for the Wembley final was was great. And actually yeah. over my head, I don't know if you can see it in that far corner above the McKenzie shirt, I've got a frame um, of some of the stuff from last season. So there's a picture of me, Cam and Lee at Wembley. There's a picture in the, the frame, it's like a collage frame, of the press conference, me speaking to Nigel Clough before Wembley. Um, the lanyard, um, an ID is in there. The team sheet's in there. Um, picture of me interviewing Clough after the semi-final win. And then there's a couple of pictures, pictures of me and Lee, me and Alan. I think actually the top picture is Trammere, <laughs> which is quite ironic considering what we've been talking about. But <laughs> that frame will always sit on my wall now and uh, uh, and things like that. So I'll cherish that more. Um, it's an amazing experience, Wembley. Um we had we went down on the day. I drove down, me and Cam, in the car. Got there quite early. Went into the ground. You obviously got to go through all the bag checks, have it scanned and everything. You have to be scanned. Um, yeah. Got through to the press street. There's a full-on like lounge where you can have cooked dinners and everything. I didn't fussy, so I didn't touch any of it, but <laughs> loads of people did. There's beers in the fridge, which you, can, which you can get for free. There's waters. There's juice. There's everything you want. They really look after you there. Um, and the view is, uh, is relatively decent um, as well. Facilities are, are, are spot on, second and on. Went out on Wembley Way interviewing some fans, sampled in the atmosphere, and, and absolutely loved it. And unfortunately for me, that was the last game commentary that I've done, and we lost, so when we didn't play very, very well. So I'd have, again, I've got the audio from it, but I don't like listening back to it because of yeah. how woeful we were on the day. <laughs> if, we'd, if we'd have won, I think you know I'd have been dining out on that a little bit, little bit more that memory. But sometimes it is quite a, a humble thing to think. It's quite a powerful thing to think about as well. Not everything in life goes the way that you imagine it to be, but you have to be grateful for the steps that you take along the way. And I think about going to away games and things like that, and. And think about how that's influenced it. Wembley, for me, will be great. I think I told you last time the story of me and James Perch in the tunnel yeah. um, after the game, something which will live long with me again um, in my memory. But I think back and to be able to get to that point and how much going away and following football has, has influenced that. But I've not gone to Barrow on that Tuesday night in 2009. I wouldn't have been able to get to Wembley once never mind twice to be able to do that and it's you know be grateful for the opportunities which come your way and sometimes if they don't work out just take the lessons from it and just uh, take the experience for for what it was because you know these things are so so rare these memories are so so rare it, it, sometimes you just you just can't make them up and you yeah, um, that's that's one thing that I'd say. You know, everyone enjoys away games for different reasons. Everyone that comes on here will talk about different things and things which they mean to them. You know, in the context of what it is, it's a Saturday afternoon or it's a Tuesday night or whatever, um, one day in a, in a week. But it's memories which last and impact a lifetime. And that's so powerful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, <laughs> A lovely way to finish as you said you know unfortunately the results didn't go your way but that experience you know not well, lots of fans don't even get to see their club at Wembley so let alone twice and the opportunity to commentate on it as well is absolutely incredible so just to sort of round off then um our conversation I know you mentioned because of broadcasting rights you're not, you're not able to commentate at the moment so do you have any sort of future aspirations or ambitions for or as an away supporter?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'll continue going. As much as I sit here and say um, that I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it, the the game element of it, but I enjoy, you know, mixing in with the fans. Again, this season I've met new friends and, and new people through going to games and uh, through pushing myself and getting out there, and that is invaluable as anything else, really. Um, so I'll continue to go. I'll continue to to, to follow the dream and to and um, to follow the boys and, uh, and back the boys. um, But I do sit in ultimate hope that one day we will get commentary rights back and I'll be able to pick that back up again. But not for anyone other than Mansfield, because uh, to me, Mansfield always matters.
0: <laughs> okay, lovely. Thank you. And and I think we'll end it there. And I just want to say thanks again for your honesty, particularly, you know, you've talked about some difficult experiences you've had, but also I think I mentioned this at the end of the first one, you, you know, your passion and your enthusiasm for the club, you know, for your role, you know, really comes across. And I think, you know, hopefully everyone who's, who's listened has really enjoyed it and, and been able to relate to it as well. So thank you.
1: It's my absolute pleasure. I hope it uh, goes well with you for future episodes.
0: Thank you.